0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to All Protein Weekly Live. We were off last week as Steve was on holiday again, if you can believe it. Hey, Steve. Welcome back.
1: Thank you. I'm back. I'm refreshed. Let's do this.
0: <laughs> How's my favorite Europe, American masquerading as a European? <laughs>
1: good. I'm good. I, I mean... like that. I, I like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how was the strategy of one week? holiday one week back to work one week holiday
1: good it was good I'm a fan I was able to completely disconnect which was really nice um, and then I, I, one thing I want to say is I know last time I came back from the, the, the a break and I said like oh man Americans are just eating horribly and I was pretty let down and um, this time it same similar idea like not really any big big changes on from what I saw, with the exception of a long-standing restaurant in the area that I was um vacationing in. It's been around for a very long time. I was really happy because they had their their regular menu. And then they upon request had an entire vegan menu. So not vegetarian, but a true vegan menu. And it was long, lots of items and um it's just really good to see. I don't know what prompted them to do that, but I was pretty, pretty happy about that.
0: That's awesome. Did you try some of the dishes?
1: I did. So I had, a, so I used, when I used to eat animal products, I loved Philly cheesesteaks. So if you're oh, not yeah. from the U.S., Philly cheesesteaks are just like, it's just beef covered in horrible cheese, onions, peppers, but it's, it tastes really good. I miss you're talking
0: to a Philly girl. I went to school in Philly. I'm now talking, no, no, but I'm talking to the, our,
1: our, I'm talking to our listeners. I'm talking to our <laughs> listeners. I know you, come on, for but, it, but, um, but yeah, so they had a Philly cheesesteak option that was, uh, they did have impossible and beyond and a lot of those stuff on the menu, but this one was actually using seitan as the, the beef alternative. And it was, it was great. I don't know what the cheese was, but it was, it was awesome. And, uh, it, it made me, satiated and happy and I felt the same way that I used to feel after eating one So horrible but it, but very happy.
0: You're supposed to feel horrible <laughs> after you eat yeah. those. If you don't
1: feel horrible after a Philly cheesesteak then it's not a good
0: one. One time my stepfather who's a major carnivore came to visit me in Philly and he obviously wanted us to like be lined to Pat's or Gino's. He chose Pat's which I'm a Pat's mm-hmm. girl too but he had four cheesesteaks in a row. Oh my god! So is he
1: alive? Is he still? No, he's, he's
0: alive and kicking. <laughs> he's oh not a vegetarian. <laughs> um, but so yeah, have you done your homework? Have you gone to Shake Shack and had the vegan burger?
1: I have not done it yet. I have to do it. I'm Jeez. supposed to be in the city uh, sometime next week, a couple of days next week, and I I have to I have I'm, to do it. But I'm wait. waiting. Oh, but I'll see if I'm hungry because I'm supposed to go to plant-based world, which is basically just two days of walking around eating. Oh later. yeah.
0: Conferences. I know. And then you like, don't ever want a full meal, but somehow you're not totally satisfied, but you know, you've eaten too much.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. No, it's, you just, by the end of the day, you're just like, I don't know if I love food or never want to look at food again.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's like that, like, you know, mass prepared food that like, it tastes really good on the moment. And then later uh-huh. it all adds up in your stomach Yeah, drunk way too much soda or whatever. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful nightmare. Well, you'll have to report back on plant-based world expo. <laughs> I will, but, um, so there's been a bunch of news since you've been gone, but not, not that much really. It's, it's been even quieter than July, which makes sense um because everybody really is off now especially in Europe and the US i'm getting so many out of offices it's crazy um but we did a deep dive this week our big story is about oatly and basically you know what's going on with oatly and this is a little shout out to my new full time reporter a name who's absolutely fantastic he joined us in august and i i couldn't be happier and we're just having a ball working together on all the stories and doing really like a lot of full features and getting to really do some some cool stuff that we have that I haven't been able to do f- for a while and we just work super well together so it was really fun to research the story um we decided to take a look at you know what was going on with Oatley and and kind of chronicle the whole thing because it's just It's just gone from being, you know, one of the biggest success stories um, in food. And, and, you know, I I don't want to take away from Oatly. It's it's a huge pioneering company. Um, It's a lot older than most people think. It's like a 25-year-old company. And they certainly, I feel like, pioneered the oat milk category as a whole. And their marketing is just, you know, world-class and just so incredible. But they've had a real bumpy... 12 to 18 months. And so we decided to really deep dive on like all the different facets from manufacturing to slowdowns in the market to, you know, management changes. And, and I think the story seems like it's really, um, you know, doing well, people are liking it. Um, it, you know, it's not, it's, it, you know, I think people are very interested in the Oatly brand, much like Beyond Meat. People love to learn more about what's going on with Oatly, but it's going to be really interesting to just continue watching this company, um especially when plant-based milk and oat milk in particular is just become so competitive as a category in the u s. but also elsewhere. What do you think? what what stood out to you?
1: Well, well, first, I love this story. so i like I like the fact that you and your team have brought this up and like dove into it a, a good amount. I, the, I think it's very timely and necessary to talk about this because, Oatly, to your point, is not the same as Beyond where Beyond or Impossible or anything like that, because Oatly has been around for a very long time, 20, 30 years. This is not a new company. And whereas Beyond and, and some other startups, they, they were startups that pushed for fast growth from the very beginning. And, and then the whole idea is off to the races. Oatly has been around for a long time. And then because of the boom in plant-based milks was able to kind of now position themselves as a startup, fast-growing startup, pushing for growth. Mm. And that was a decision that was made. And, and as with any company that is a growth company venture backed, or even if they're public, a growth strategy company, all of that is predicated on this idea that you grow at all costs and profitability is something that you focus on in the future. Um, because the demand is there, right? So what I think is really important to point out now is not that the demand isn't there. Oli is doing well and they are still growing across the board. They're growing revenues. But the reason that I've seen them get crushed in the public markets is because their revenue forecast, what they're expecting, those have dropped. So it's still expected to go higher, but they're, it, with revenue not growing as fast as they expected, the story of a growth company goes away. And then it gets priced as a value company, which is a totally different pricing approach. And when it gets looked at as a non-growth company, really scary stuff starts to emerge where it's like, well, your margins aren't that strong and you're operating at a net loss and you have a ton of CapEx that you just put into building out new production facilities, where do you even have the demand to fill those production facilities with with enough, enough work? um so it's i really think this all goes this i think the story we're seeing here can be applied to any company startups later stage whatever if you make the conscious decision to push for a certain business strategy you have to make make sure that it makes sense and for them they said we're going after growth at all costs not profitability but then demand was not as much as they anticipated so it's we'll see Absolutely.
0: how they do. They also, they also grew a lot. They invested a lot. One of the things that I found really interesting is, um, they have not gotten the results that they wanted from their investment into the China market. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for a while they had this really fascinating and unique approach of going into a market by getting baristas in, you know, um, coffee shop, sh- coffee sh- shop chains to be their brand ambassadors and to really push the product, and that they've really succeeded in that front. And then if you go to a medium to high end coffee chain, you're you know you're going to have Oatly as the plant based milk, you know nine times out of ten. And this is like all over the world. But what's happening is like in markets like Singapore, you've got homegrown competitors like Oatside that are just taking over. Um, mm-hmm. one, cause they can beat on price and two, you know, there's a love for like local players as well. And, and, and so it's just the, the, I think one of the other kind of themes that comes up for me is like the defensibility of the product.
1: Hmm. That's, that's an interesting point. And I think that it's hard to be defensible in a true CPG Company, right? Like where right. You're, uh, there are different, right. right? It's it's 100% a hundred percent of brand play, and 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 then at the the financials level, it's all about how you structure your operations and are they efficient and are they structured Which, in the right. By the way, way, they are
0: not. Their loss numbers, their like product wastage numbers, are insane. Yeah, and, and that's waste, that like fifteen percent of the product.
1: Yeah, and also like it, even just like like if your costs just to produce the product are way too high, like you're really setting yourself up for failure where I saw gross margin numbers for their products of like lower than 20%. That's really rough for a CPG company. You want to hope that they're 30, 35, 40%, if not higher. Right. So seeing in the gross margins in the teens right away, there's, there's an issue with your cost of goods sold. And, um and yeah, absolutely. So I, like if
0: you don't have the financials and then, but the other thing is, is, you know, cost of living has gone up, you know, food inflation is up. This is a product that when there are 20 other options on the shelf, right? And every supermarket has their own brand and every major food company has their own brand. You can get a cheaper oat milk. A
1: hundred percent. And I I'm hopeful that they're able to turn this around because I think it'll be a massive, this will be a case study in business schools that for some reason this this does fail. But I, if if they go from existing for 20, 25 years and doing fine as a company to turning on the, the the jet engines and trying to grow at all costs and that leads to failure, that would be a really sad story. And it would be a big loss for the space because it'll just be another thing for for anti-sustainable food people to to point to to say, Hey, no one wants this, but that's not really the story. The story is not that people don't want this. It's that they are kind of mismanaging the, Mm -hmm. the growth strategy that they have.
0: Yeah, I think absolutely. They're being punished for management and, and operational issues rather than the brand and the product. And I mean, I still buy it every day. Um, oatly is one of the few companies in the world that you can uh, oat companies in the world where you can actually buy a version that is just oats and water so that mm. doesn't have any oil in it um which is what i buy to feed my kid every day um and to feed us it's not as creamy as barista versions but it's perfectly fine and that's what i've been feeding him since he was a one-year-old um
1: yeah because I don't want to get all about that clean label.
0: (laughs) Right. But it's, it's surprisingly difficult to find in today's market. Now, a plant-based milk that does not have an added oil to it. Try
1: it. It really is.
0: Go ahead and try. Cause let me tell you, I, I wanted to try and buy some soy the other day and I cannot find a soy brand that doesn't have oil in it right now where I am.
1: It's just not necessary to have that. But that's a different so, conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Good, good deep dive. Um, we're definitely gonna do more of those and really like try and look under the hood of some of these companies. We're also um, you know, doing a lot more features on like interesting products and brands. So hopefully we'll we'll cover some of that in, in future episodes. But um, what else stood out to you in today's newsletter?
1: Yeah, in this week's newsletter, one that was interesting is the uh, the one that says perfect day, which is a a U.S. based precision fermentation company. They agreed to sell the consumer facing subsidiary, the urgent company to, um, a firm called super lattice. And the deal was worth 1.25 million. And that was from an sec filing. So I'm going to say that that's, that's right based on the sec, but who knows, right? There's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm
0: going to add to that because I were, it's an ongoing story. Um, it's really so first of all it's a story that has not been reported very widely there was a business wire piece about it and our piece but but really not much else and it they perfect day has agreed to sell the sale has not gone through we did mm. look at the SEC filings and the price that we featured is in those filings um but it is important to know that things could change once the deal is finalized. Um, however um it's, let's just say that it's, uh, it's a low number.
1: Uh, yeah. (laughs) 1.25 million for, I don't remember all of the brands that are within the urgent company, but there's various brands and they're selling products in the market. 1.25 million for CPG conglomerate. Let's call it that. That is, it's almost free. Uh, Um, I I would I would kill to know the underlying financials of all of those brands and like but I I'd be blo- I'd be blown away if the combination of all of those brands they don't even have a million in sales yeah millions.
0: I mean it just it's it boggles the mind and don't forget this is so this includes Cool House an ice cream company that was a standalone dairy ice cream company before Perfect Day bought it this includes their own ice cream brand brave yoga um, brave robot it includes their cream cheese modern kitchen um it includes the rights to um to cool house and the urgent company brands in i think china asia the us the eu so this is like a quite a far-ranging you know this isn't just like one part of the business um in the us this is this is the whole thing
1: yeah this is i mean again like when i see this i really just think okay so this firm super lattice who i don't know at all they just got a bunch of brands for free for like they're i know 1.25 billion. to super lattice was
0: formed just for the deal i don't think they're yeah they 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 they, okay. they, they merged with something called tradex Okay, Florida, okay. which has cpg brands so they they do have some knowledge like some cpg um experience yes yeah, um, so I mean, this is like way, a new entity
1: that's that's they they get assets for free and i know a million 1.25 million is not nothing right but in the world of mna and and yeah big food businesses that is nothing it is really nothing so I mean I I don't have any other numbers but all I can say for sure is that Perfect Day is taking a loss on this without a doubt.
0: Right. So the question is, you know, why obviously they've made it very clear that their focus is B2B, so this is like maybe a good way to just shift all the B2C stuff out um I think I think about, you know, the sing- signal that it is to to the industry and like as a benchmark number maybe not ideal right
1: now. Oh God, it's a horrible benchmark number.
0: <laughs> as an investor, how do you
1: feel? <laughs> I mean, as an investor, I'm just thinking like, well, if if anybody gets the numbers on this and has, and uses it for comps, like to to right. value other companies, it's just going to bring down com- like comparable valuations, a tremendous amount. Yeah.
0: Even
1: if, if all, even if they collectively have exactly 1.25 million in revenue, which would be not impressive to be honest for that many brands. Um, That's a one X revenue multiple. Like that's that's horrible. Even
0: if their revenues were, you know, 500,000, you would still expect two to three multiples anyway. Just interesting. Now I do want to repeat. We don't know. The deal has not gone through yet. So we don't know what the final number is and we will report. Once we know more, this is what we got from the filings made with the U.S. SEC, um, which are linked in in the article, so you can see it yourself. Um, but the deal hasn't gone through, so remains to be seen. Um,
1: I, I love I love the disclaimer. You're you're the real reporter here. I'm the investor. I just I just
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I I like- got a <laughs> disclaimer.
1: <laughs> Does- but what about you? What about the so uh, moving on from from perfect day? What it, what it else in the uh, newsletter yeah. caught your
0: eye? Yeah, so I, I there's there's a few stories that really I was really happy to report on, but the one that I found most like we have to talk about this, and this follows our theme for the last few weeks, and one of our favorite topics is we have to talk about the Washington Post and University of Maryland. Um, poll that was conducted in late July um, on about 1,400 U.S. adults that showed that essentially Americans are completely misguided on what an individual can do to fight climate change. And within that, so most Americans think that the top thing you can do for climate is recycling, which experts would put at the bottom of the list of things you should do as an individual. And the really kind of important fact for us here is that three quarters of Americans, so um, don't think that eating meat and dairy has any impact on climate change. So it's 74% that think not eating meat has little to no impact on climate change and 77% that think that not eating dairy has little or no impact on climate change. And that's just that so shocking. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, but doesn't it kind of explain a lot?
1: It does, it does really explain <laughs> a lot. And like, 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 repeat that number, 74% of people in the US don't think eating meat and dairy is bad for the climate.
0: Yeah, they, they don't bad. believe that it has an impact on fighting climate change. So they do not associate reducing dairy or not eating meat with fighting climate
1: change. Right. So like an interesting way to even extrapolate on this is like, how many surveys have we seen out there that say, oh, consumers in the US, they want to eat. If you ask them, do you want to eat in a way that Is sustainable in a way that's good for your budget, and that tastes good, blah 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 blah. But that sustainable question almost doesn't even matter if they don't know what is sustainable because if they, it's not, it's not even their fault then when, when they say, yeah, I do buy brands based on or buy foods based on sustainability, and then
0: I think well, no,
1: they're lying because they. I think we need to
0: decode sustainability, Steve. I think that one thing that I've learned in the last 10 years is that in the US, there is a bit of a difference between sustainability and climate. Hmm. And okay. what's happened recently is that we, in the mass media, in mainstream media, we've replaced sustainability with climate, but actually for consumers, those are not related. And especially in the US, where honestly, climate reporting and an understanding of climate change and a belief that climate change is real is not a given, there's a disconnect
1: between. Yeah, there, there absolutely is, there absolutely is. And I think it's it's a good thing for us to see though, because the reality is that this is not a situation where we say, well, consumers just don't want sustainable foods or alternative proteins. Maybe that's the case, I don't know. I think that they they probably do. But now we're seeing they might want that and have no idea what a sustainable
0: food is. They might—they're not even making the connection between sustainability and food. It's not no. happening. They well, not when it comes to climate. And you're talking about a year where it's been the hottest year on record all over the the world, the most deadly like fire in Hawaii, um, all over the U.S. Huge issues with extreme weather related to climate change. So this is a time where the climate and weather-related events related to the climate are really on top of mind. And still, this is just not getting through. And it really begs the question, you and I are both part of this future food industry, food tech industry, alt protein industry, where is the work to understand the consumer? And like, are we putting the cart before the horse? Sorry, that's not a vegan expression. And are we just getting wait, products? Wait, on wait a
1: vegan expression. I...
0: No, no. <laughs> we actually really have an article. Me. We have an article on Green Bean where we convert all the animal expressions to vegan-friendly expressions. So I'm sorry. That's that... amazing. Yeah. So I'm sorry <laughs> about that. But the point, you know, are we just not seeing the forest from the trees here? Getting products out on shelves for customers that are just not aware of the choice they need to make. Because they're yeah, just I not think, making that connection.
1: I think that's exactly what's happening. We're not we're not doing the research on it. It's not being done at a good scale, good level. Um, and we're just putting products out there and, and then sitting there saying, Why are consumers not understanding this? They're saying they want to eat sustainably and then they don't buy this. So they're lying. But the reality is they're not lying. They just truly don't know. And it's it's a sad thing also because the reality is if you look at the list of what sustainable things people can do. Um, and at the individual level to, to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and impact on the planet. Honestly, some of it's super expensive and it's a little out of reach for the average day person. Put up solar panels on your house that assumes you have a house or you're not a child or a teenager who is not part of that decision-making process or buy an electric vehicle, which is super expensive for the most part and not really accessible for most people. Food is really easy. Food you at every single
0: meal, you could just say, I'm just not going to eat your dairy. And it's it's really just to be clear, solar panel. So the article compared what the, what, what the results from the poll with experts and what actually matters the most. And the top two things that matter the most are flying less and eating less meat and dairy, solar panels, recycling, even electric cars came way down. So, we're just, we're completely off in our, or US consumers are off about how they're assessing climate action. And I'm, you know, I'm going to have to harp on about this. I told you this when a few weeks ago when I was comparing my trip to Europe versus my trip to the US going to a climate conference and the difference. And, you know, if you look at the numbers coming out of Europe, especially countries like Germany and the Netherlands, where climate is 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 reported on, there is government um, commitment to fighting climate, there's, you know, the EU is, is quite active around climate or at least vocal about it. There is an impact on how people are eating and consumers in those countries are reducing meat um, because they are aware of the connection with the climate. And so I think there's evidence to show that if consumers are aware, they do make the change. And this goes back to another thing I harp on about. I'm really, I'm a Harper is why is there nothing in our space to get people to make this connection? You know, why do we not invest in in information startups and engagement startups that are helping consumers make this connection? Because it's not being made. And you can't just rely on mainstream media, especially in the US where it's increasingly polarized, to to make that connection for you I mean in our article we point out some other stats which is that you know 93 percent of climate reporting does not mention livestock agriculture as a cause
1: mm-hmm. yeah I agree and it's as an investor you're saying why don't why don't we invest in this it's I I can tell you I I don't see many things hitting on the behavioral change the education side of things and I think part of it is just it's hard to monetize and turn into a business so um well, i mean does anyone's the working on that i want I, I mean actually maybe this is a good segue into our positive thing for the week from the newsletter because one of the things that i i have seen some companies out there where i'm like this this could be impactful um and investable are companies that are, are focusing on uh both measurement of climate impact of, of food, but then also they turn it into some type of label or score. Um, and and you could put that on individual CPG products or products within the store. And the reason that's a segue for the positive thing for the week is because we, we have it in the newsletter that Irish plant forward frozen food brand, Strong Roots, uh, so I don't I, I don't know them, but they're they're based in Ireland. They have launched a climate footprint label across all of their packaging, and they did this in development uh, or in partnership with Swedish climate company Carbon Cloud. So I don't actually know these companies. These are like so when I reference companies working on this, these aren't the ones that I've I've talked to. But I can tell you, I'm actually a really firm believer that if we put carbon footprint labels or climate labels or sustainability labels on food. Um, and give them some type of score or a coloring. So red for bad or green for good, or out of a hundred percent, something like that. I think that that would make it really,
0: really easy. And just to bring it back to our first story, uh, Carbon Cloud also works with Oatly on their label. And to be honest, there are a lot more carbon labels and climate impact labels and emissions uh, data on products in the uk and europe interesting
1: so i don't really see that here like no. that's something that i see in, but in the again
0: it, it could be because no one knows that consumers because no one's got that top of mind that climate and food are super connected and so that's not trickling down to product developers and it's not trickling down to consumers who are demanding it because they want easier choices
1: mm-hmm yeah, no, I all of I, it I is
0: a sort of self-fulfilling um, you know, uh kind of circle. And and you know, we had a couple of other stories in the newsletter that really underline the 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 poll, which you know, Gallup just came out with their numbers and in the US vegan and vegetarianism populations are down. Not good. Kind of the opposite direction that we need to be going in. <laughs> yeah. So it's just all adding up. Um, I also, we also had a story about, it's not in the newsletter, but it's a story about how consumers basically were polled around information on why they buy products and conservative consumers in the US were more likely to be put off by any kind of climate mention because they felt that that was woke marketing.
1: And so the study
0: was suggesting that products should focus on things like health, which is more neutral. So this is another whole issue. And honestly, though, back to your point about understanding
1: the consumer, there's not one consumer out there. There's different types. There's different segmentations. So if some of them are more likely to make bad climate food choices, if they see that there's some type of labeling that it's sustainable or whatever... Then we need to for those consumers address that in a different way. Hit on health, hit on price, hit on the things that they will actually respond to and um and take what take them seriously, right? We can't just say, oh, well, they don't understand anything. We have to take them seriously. Um which again to finish on a positive point, I think labeling and things like that, we can we can make those we can make those adjustments, but we just have to do it in a in a more thoughtful manner.
0: I love it that's a great note to end on. Well, we'll be back next week with so much more old protein news and great chat. Um, looking forward to talking to you again, then
1: I can't wait. I'll talk to you then.
0: All right. Signing off everybody.